This is a crowd podcast. Here's what Sam Cooke sounds like when you hear him talking. Determine the, the times of your day. I think you can always write something with that people will understand. A soft voice, quite high, gentle on the words, on your ears, like he's smiling at you as he speaks. And here's what Sam Cooke sounds like when you hear him singing. Well, actually, that sort of depends. You're in a white audience, a supper club, or watching on national TV. He croons a perfect, clear voice, like a younger version of Nat King Cole. He's probably in a dinner jacket and tie, too. An entertainer, clicking his fingers, but not much more. You're in a black club, and it's like he's a different man. White shirt open at the neck, sweat coming off him, shaking and moving. The voice like soul before anyone knows what soul is. The pain of the blues, the ecstasy of the church. Raw, going deep, grabbing you by the arm and pulling you in tight. He sings and the crowd sings back. Girls trying to tear their shirt off his back. It's like sex and religion and anger and joy all mixed together in some beautiful mess. And that's what you've got to remember when you hear the records he made before he died. How great they are, how sweet, how pure. Songs like Wonderful World, like Cupid, You Send Me, perfect little love songs. A time machine back to the innocence of the late 50s, the early 60s. How they can make you feel nostalgic for a time you never knew. And you've got to remember how they could have sounded in a different world. Where a black man could sing like a black man to everyone. Where he could be himself everywhere. You've got to remember what he started. How he inspired Otis Redding. Stevie Wonder, all those mod kids in bands around the world. How Ross Stewart is still totally obsessed, almost 60 years on. How he calls him my one and only influence. Says he spent thousands of hours trying to sound like him and never came close. But there's other stuff you need to know too. Because Sam Cooke's the voice, but he's so much more. The dodgy managers stealing his money the run-ins with the mafia, the racism, the threats, the violence, the wiretaps from the FBI, and how it all ends in a cheap motel with a cool girl and a handgun when he's just starting to change the world. The scandals, the cover-ups, the lies and the half-truths, what happens between his wife and his best friend. And you have to ask yourself something as you listen to it all. Did you ever really hear the real Sam Cooke? This is Death of a Rockstar, Sam Cooke. Okay, this is Sam Cooke growing up. His great-grandmother's a slave. His dad's a minister. He's born in the guts of the Great Depression down south. The family moved north to Chicago for work. That's the story for a lot of black folks in the 30s. And like so many, it all comes out in the church. You sing, you give praise, you lament. But Sam's got something else, a voice that takes you away with him. 
A look and a smile that make the girls do things they don't do with other boys. So he's out touring when he's in his teens. A band called the Soul Stirrers going back south. Gospel singing. The old way. One mic. Five voices. Often no stage, just a space cleared. He watches the big stars in these little clubs. Chuck Berry, Little Richard, sees how they're singing about sex, not God. Sees how the crowds swoon and scream when they do. It's a line in the sand to the ministers, to your parents and grandparents. You choose God's music or the devil's music, love or money. What do you do? Once you move, you can't come back. You could gain the world, but lose your soul. Sam knows where he's from. He also knows where he wants to be. So he takes what he has and tries to turn it into something new. There's an old gospel staple. It's called Wonderful. The chorus goes, My God's so wonderful. Sam tweaks it and calls it Lovable. My girl's so lovable. And the pop hits come, all sweet and cute. There's Cupid, his pure voice, muted horns, doo-wop backing. There's Wonderful World, two minutes, nine seconds of pop perfection. But everything else isn't so perfect. Wonderful World gets bigger when it's covered by white artists. And there's the opening line, don't know much about history. Every black man and woman knows the history. It's post-war America. It's all segregated in the old confederacy states down south. Where you eat, where you sleep, where you shit. Sam flies into Georgia for a gig, but he can't get to the venue because he's not allowed in the whites-only cabs at the airport. And black cabs aren't even allowed at the terminal. And that pain and anger it begins to leak out. He has a big hit with a song called Chain Gang. It's pop, so catchy, a sing-along chorus, his voice gentle and high. But there's other stuff going on you can't miss. He's seen the real chain gangs, prisoners with shackles round their ankles, swinging picks and shovels, cheap labour for America's new roads and highways. He knows how many of the men are black. He's driven past in the hot sun, stopped, got out, given them his cigarettes, watched the white prison guards with their guns and dogs. Some things are changing, but other things are just as they always were. This is where we've got to talk about what else is going on down south. Emmett Till is a 14-year-old black kid. Someone thinks they hear him whistling at a white woman. Two white men go to his house. They kidnap him, mutilate him, shoot him in the head, and throw his body in the Tallahatchie River. An all-white jury acquits them both. Megha Evers is a World War II veteran. He's also a civil rights activist. In 1963, as he's campaigning to end school segregation, he's assassinated by a white supremacist. Same year in Birmingham, Alabama, 
four members of the Ku Klux Klan plant 19 sticks of dynamite under the 16th Street Baptist Church. The explosion kills four young black girls and injures 22 others. No one is prosecuted for 14 years. Those are the headlines. Here's the daily reality. In October 1963, Sam and his wife Barbara tried to check into the Holiday Inn in Shreveport, Louisiana. He's booked in advance, turns up in his new Maserati, two friends behind in a Cadillac limo. The clerk behind the front desk looks up, sees their faces, says, sorry, no vacancies. Sam's furious, wants to stay until they let him in. Barbara says, Sam, they'll kill you. Sam says, they ain't gonna kill me. I'm Sam Cook. He drives off, horn blaring, looking for a guest house designated for colored people. When they get to the castle hotel, the police are waiting for them. They arrest them, charge them with creating a public disturbance. That night, there's a bomb threat to the theater he's meant to be playing. Before the show, his brother heads out to get them something to drink. Goes into a store run by a white woman. Says, baby, how much is that whiskey? There's a white man behind him. You call that woman baby? Get out of my face, says the brother, before I knock you down. When the police come, they shout racial slurs at him. The officer says, you say another word and I'll blow your brains out. What do you do as a black star? You try to change it. Nina Simone singing Mississippi Goddamn. You listen to those lyrics, you can't miss what she's saying. Sam wears his hair natural, not processing the curls and kinks out like black performers have for years. He starts looking at his record contract. Who's making the money here? The guy who writes the songs, who sings them, or the ones doing the accounts? There's a guy we need to meet now called Alan Klein. He's going to be important in this story. For now, here's all you need to know. He's Sam's new manager, and he gets the record company to show Sam what they're doing. Soon, he's got a new deal, a better deal. Now Sam wants to help others. He sets up his own record label. When all the majors are white-owned, he signs black acts including this talented kid called Bobby Womack. He's important later too. There's something Sam says to Bobby as he becomes his mentor, as they become friends. He says, everyone wants a piece of the pie. You can spread it everywhere and have nothing. And then you're just like you were. You're slaving. But he's changing things, Sam Cook. Him and other powerful black men. There's one night none of them will ever forget. It's February 25th, down in Miami Beach. What's happening? Cassius Clay, a 22-year-old kid out of Louisville, is taking on Sonny Liston for the heavyweight championship of the world. Clay's got no chance. He's the 8-to-1 outsider. Liston's a brute, and he's got the mafia on his side. But Sam's ringside, hoping the youngster will win. And with him are two other men. Jim Brown, the superstar running back for the Cleveland Browns, maybe the greatest American football player of his era. Next to him is Malcolm X, Muslim minister, civil rights leader. 
the man who helped Cassius Clay become Muhammad Ali. Four powerful young black men. Men with a voice, men with a dream. When Clay wins by stoppage in the seventh round, the crowd go crazy, just like they do when Sam's on stage. And Clay shouts at his friend in the ringside seats, Sam Cook, come up here, didn't I shake up the world? There's hope, there's joy, but something else is going on, something sinister. What no one knows, not yet, is the FBI are listening to everything. Okay, we need to take a quick break, but we'll be back in a moment to tell you all about what happens next. Do you want more crowd podcasts? Let me tell you about the Crowd Stories channel. It's where you can find all of Crowd's documentaries. In one place. And for just £1 a week, they're ad-free. Addictive documentaries like American Vigilante. I'm a monster hunter. It's what I do. And Murder in House 2. I know you know what happened. You want to keep it to yourself, you suit yourself. You're going down. Unbelievable investigations into government cover-ups. Your daily reality is the fact that at any moment when the guard comes along, he might just pull out his gun and shoot you in the back of the head. And immerse yourself in the stories of death of a rock star. Just search for Crowd Stories on Apple Podcasts. And hit the subscribe button. See you there. This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Hello, it's Tom Fordyce here. I'm one of the writers on Death of a Rockstar, and I do hope you're enjoying the series. I wanted to tell you about BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses in life, big and small. A lot of the people I wrote about for this series absolutely did. And as we know, if we keep those stresses bottled up, it can impact us negatively. That's where therapy can be great. Therapy isn't just for people who've experienced major trauma. It can help you understand the way your brain works and why you feel a particular way. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's all online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Rockstar listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. That's betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Welcome back to Death of a Rockstar. This is the story of Sam Cooke. Powerful young black men are a threat to J. Edgar Hoover, the boss of the FBI. So he gets wiretaps, informers, digs up all he can to bring them down. 
That's not the only problem Sam's got. We need to talk more about his wife, Barbara, about what they're both up to when the other's not looking. They meet when he's 18. She's 13. She gets pregnant early, has their first daughter when she's 17. Thing is, she's not the only one. You get the attention Sam gets, you can do whatever you like if you want to. There's kids from at least three other women. There's another marriage before Barbara, a singer and dancer with the stage name Dee Dee Mohawk. He'll have two more kids with Barbara, but when he's on tour, he's always with a different girl. After a show, he gets a bottle, gets a girl and finds a room. There's paternity suits, rumors. He tries to keep them from Barbara, doesn't even want to make a will. Says to Bobby Womack, when a woman starts asking about Will, she'll kill your ass. When he's in a mood, he's cold. He says to Bobby, don't fuck your fans. Every girl you go with gets herself a baby. You get a high-class hooker, you can give her 500 bucks and she's gone. But Barbara knows. She's got a bartender friend from the Flying Fox Club near their house in Chicago. Goes out with him most nights, Sam's not around. She knows what he's doing. Next problem, Alan Klein. He's the manager we talked about earlier. A tough little scorpion, fast-talking, dirty-mouthed. All the charm of a broken lavatory seat. Those are a few of the things people say about him. You don't trust Klein, but Sam doesn't know that yet. Takes him a while to realize what this new record deal means. That Klein owns it all, not him. That's the con. Sam wants to change his sound, capture what he does in the black clubs, put it out on record for a white audience. He wants to be himself. He records a new song. Klein hears it and says, that's the worst fucking song I ever heard. Sam comes back at him. What the fuck do you know? But Klein's in charge. He puts out another cute little pop song instead. It sells almost nothing. I'm going to leave that asshole. that's what Sam says. And he does something else too. Lays down a new tune like nothing he's ever done before. It's inspired by everything he's seen, everything he feels. We'll come back to it later. It's the final act in all this mad drama. For now, know this. A friend hears it and says, Sam, that song sounds like death. And Sam says, nah. It sounds like a new man being born. And so we come to the night. December 11th, 1964. Sam's in a bar in LA called Martoni's, just above sunset. Sinatra's there too, plenty of glamour, plenty of stars. Sam's not chatting to a star. He's with a small, plump girl with pale skin. She's called Lisa Boyer, a regular face in there, a party girl if you listen to the locals. Sam's on the martinis. Four, five. After his sixth, way past midnight, he leaves with Lisa. His Ferrari's parked outside. He's got a bottle of scotch on the back seat, a copy of the Muslim newspaper, Muhammad Speaks. It's not some flashy Hollywood place he takes her, not his own home. Instead, he drives out towards the airport a cheap place on the highway called the Hacienda Motel. They arrive just after half two in the morning, sign in as Mr. and Mrs. 
go up to their room. Okay, this is what Lisa Boyer says happens next. She says Sam throws her on the bed, tears off her clothes. She thinks he's going to rape her. She goes to the bathroom, tries escaping through the window, but finds it jammed shut. So she waits for him to use the bathroom, then grabs her clothes and runs. She's taken most of Sam's clothes too, although she says she doesn't realize till later. She runs to the motel manager's door, bangs on it, screaming for help. Hears nothing and runs out along the street instead. Finds a telephone box, calls the police. Help me, I've been kidnapped. Here's what the police record says happens next. Sam runs out of his room, naked except for one shoe and his suit jacket. Bangs on the manager's door, yells, where's the girl? No answer. He kicks the door in, grabs the manager, a middle-aged woman, screams again, where's the girl? The manager panics, thinks he's going to kill her, reaches for her gun, a pistol with a white handle and black barrel, pulls the trigger. The first bullet hits the ceiling. The second passes over his head. The third hits him in the chest, goes through his heart and both his lungs. Sam looks down at the blood and the mess and the destruction. He looks up at her, says in that gentle, soft voice, Lady, you shot me. Like he's confused, not angry. No one will kill Sam Cook, right? Lady, you shot me. And then he falls forward and he lies still. Barbara's at home. She's been out too with her bartender friend, stayed out until nearly three, drinking, smoking pot. She's woken up by the phone ringing. It's her sister. Have you heard the news? No. It's 6 a.m. Well, is your husband home? Barbara says nothing, just snorts. Well, honey, he's dead. It's all chaos after that. At the Leakin Sons funeral home in Chicago, where they take the body, so many fans gather, there's a crush, and the glass doors collapse inwards. At the Tabernacle Baptist Church, where 200,000 fans queued to see his coffin carried into the funeral. In Barbara's bedroom, where she hides in the corner of the room, crying, all the bedding wrapped around her like a womb. The cops think it's easy. It all makes sense. The coroner's jury says, justifiable homicide. Some of the family aren't so sure. They say, Lisa's a hooker. They say the motel manager works for the mob. Another singer says they see Sam's body up close before the funeral. Says it looks like his head is nearly clean off his shoulders. They say this ain't an accident. This is murder. Jealous rivals, the mafia, Alan Klein, the crooked manager, any of them. But there's no other investigation, and so the talk goes on. You reckon it stays like this if it's Elvis who gets shot? If it's not a black man? Maybe. In 1964, even Sam Cooke's life doesn't matter. The talk goes on, and the scandal. Remember Bobby Womack, Sam's friend, the kid he signs to his record label and takes under his wing? Bobby goes round to the family home, sees Barbara's friend, the barman in the lounge, Wearing Sam's dressing gown, in his watch, his ring, says to himself, this motherfucker's trying to fuck over my hero. 
Shouts, get the fuck out of here and give me that robe too while you're going. And then, then he says Barbara asks him to stay the night. He says she takes him to bed. Three months after Sam's funeral, they marry. The wife, the best friend. He's 20 years old. She's 30. At the registry office, he wears one of Sam's suits. He's so much like Sam in many ways. That's how Barbara explains it to a reporter. Not that I love him because of that, but he fits in, he belongs. For that reason, I can accept him, I can love him. They have a son, Vincent. As he grows up, the kid struggles with drugs and booze. When he's 21, he takes his own life with a gun. Bobby and Barbara, they divorce after five years. Later, Bobby will have an affair with Barbara and Sam's eldest daughter. She's a teenager. He's in his 30s. When Barbara finds him in bed, she takes a gun, tries to shoot him. This time, the bullet misses. So of course, there's no happy ending. Sam's gone. All that's left is mess and sadness and what might have been. Money? There's none for the family. It's Alan Klein who gets the royalties from the millions of records that keep selling. Some things change. Some things stay the same forever. There's only that final act. The new song Sam lays down. The one that sounds like nothing he's ever done before. It's called A Change Is Gonna Come. Two weeks after he dies, it finally comes out. You want to know about living as a black man in America? You listen to this song. You want to know civil rights? You listen to this song. You want to know about a dream that lived and died and lives on? This is the song. This is the man. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. This episode was written by Tom Fordyce and performed by me, Elroy Spoonface Powell, Spoon the Voice Guy. It was edited by Crawford Blair. For research, we read Dream Boogie by Peter Goralnik and the archives of Jet Magazine and Rolling Stone. We watched the documentary The Two Killings of Sam Cooke. If you want to hear Sam Cooke, start with Wonderful World for the pop classic, then go for Chain Gang but the live version, recorded at the Harlem Square Club. And there's no other way to finish except the change is going to come. No other way. Or if you'd like another podcast to listen to, try our other series, Death of a Film Star, and start with our episode about the incredible Chadwick Boseman. Just search Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast. 
a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Did you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not so grown-up things like hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love or want to love or hate yeah imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that uh has impacted your life uh and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week so triangulate your speakers think about jumping off the bed singing along dancing like an idiot and listen to axe grind podcast